Well, thanks again, Jude, for reading that little story of how Paul came to be saved. It's an amazing story. I've always loved it. Uh, it's one of the really entrancing parts of the Bible. And if you've read a little bit earlier on in Acts, you'll see just what a change this has made uh, from 1 Corinthians back to before Paul was saved. Just before this, uh, he was violently oppressing anyone who was a follower of Jesus at all. And then all of a sudden, Jesus steps into this man's life in a very, very real way, but still the simplest of ways. Paul has his whole life wrenched around and changed as Jesus grabs hold of him. And everything that this man once believed in with, with all his heart and worked so passionately for has been turned around and, and, and has turned out to be actually against what is true and what is real. Jesus has stepped into this man's life, literally knocked him off his horse, and he's called him to a whole new life. And from that, that moment on, he becomes not just another follower of Jesus as so many others are, but he becomes the Apostle Paul, the writer of half the New Testament. He becomes a church planter and a missionary across the known world of the time, all the way around the Mediterranean. Just about every time I hear this story talked about in Christian circles, I hear a phrase. It's usually along the lines of, oh, I wish when I was saved, I wish when I was converted to Christ that I had a story like that. It's something that dramatic. I wish I met Jesus that dramatically and, and physically heard his voice. If that had happened, my, my calling to my faith and my calling in my life would just be so much clearer. And I'd know what to do. I'd know who I was supposed to be. We're at a time in our life as a church when our calling is up in the air. If you're a guest today, I want to welcome you again. It's great to have you at our service. And as Ruben's really uh, already mentioned, our future as a church is, is kind of up in the air. It might even be that we have to close the church. And we've been discussing this for some weeks now. The question, one of the questions, one of the many questions we've asked through all of this is, what is our calling? What are we supposed to do and who are we supposed to be if it turns out to be the case that church changes dramatically or maybe even closes? Well, in these three short verses that introduce a whole letter, I hope we can take away three simple but powerful truths to help us navigate this time together a little bit easier. And the first one, the first little truth we want to take home is that just like Paul was called, just like Paul was called, we are also called. We are called. 
In the first words that Paul writes, he uses the word call three times. I don't know if you saw it. It didn't leap out at me uh, straight away. But he's almost got a little bit of a play on words happening in these first three verses. In verse 1, he says that he was called by God for a purpose, to be an apostle, God's authoritative messenger about Jesus to the world. That's what he was called to do. And then in verse 2, he speaks to the people in Corinth, the church in that city. It's a city in uh, southern Greece that's still there today. In fact, you can jump on uh, Street View, Google Street View if you want to, and you can have a look around the city of Corinth. We did. And he says to the people in that place, he says, you too are called. And then in, later on in verse 2, he says that the church also calls on the name of Jesus together. So Paul's called, we've read about that, such a dramatic calling, and so are the people in the church. You and I, we've been plucked out of darkness by Jesus in much the same way Paul was. Although I wasn't knocked off a horse, and in worldly terms, my, my salvation was not as dramatic as this, in many ways, it, it really was. Especially when you think about it in terms of calling. Jesus rescued you for a purpose just as much as he did Paul. His calling of you wasn't random or happenstance. We were called by the will of God for a purpose. Isn't that incredible? And if you've thought about your call in that way. It's good news. We've been called, but what are we called to be? Well, in verse 2, we're told that we are people who are sanctified. We'll have a look at that word in a minute. We're people who are sanctified and also who are called to be something, which is saints. Depending on your translation, you might have something else, but the ESV, the version I'm using today, has the word saints. Now, if you had a Roman Catholic upbringing, you might find the idea of being called to be a saint slightly offensive. Because they're the extra special people, right? That mere mortals look up to. But this word is applied to the whole church. If you read on in 1 Corinthians, you'll find that this church is not the extra special people. In fact, they've got quite a lot of problems in the church and problems in their lives. Both the word saints here and the word sanctify it just beforehand are actually translations of the same root word in the original. And it's the word holy. The word holy. You might want to reread the verse, something along the lines of, to those holified in Christ Jesus, called to be the holy ones. It's the same word here. Paul's using language here that's really kind of Old Testament language. Maybe you remember back in uh, some of the very first books of the Bible when the tabernacle and later the temple is being set up. 
there are a lot of items that are produced and then set aside, holified, consecrated for the work of the Lord in the temple. So you'll find a whole bunch of things, you know, random stuff in our, in our minds, like candle holders and plates and basins and utensils. And all of these things were set aside, specially put aside for the work of God and the things of God. And that's their calling. Paul's saying that the people in the church are called for the task of being holy. Not extra specially pure, although there's a bit of that too, but set aside, consecrated for God in this world. That is our calling. Now, in months gone by, we've started to call this kind of purpose for the church and the people in it being disciples of Jesus. And maybe as we talk about this as our calling, you might have felt like I've let you down. Oh, is that all? <laughs> you know, I've been doing that for years now. I've been a disciple of Christ. I've been a Christian. And you've made out like it's some big thing. But the simplicity of our calling is really beautiful, I hope. Jesus has reached out and knocked you off your horse. He's turned your whole life around. And where you were once against the things of God, you now follow him in this life. Our purpose is simple. It is just to be the church. Be his people. Belong to him and be set apart for him completely. That purpose is to be the set apart ones along with the rest of the church. And I love how simple this is, especially in the face of all the complexity of life at the moment. The complexity of having live in this world with all sorts of nasty circumstances, the complexity of what's happening with the church, to realise that our calling will continue whether this church changes shape or even ceases to exist is a beautiful thing. It brings great peace to know that we're not called, our calling is not to build Jesus' church for him, but simply to belong to him. It's reassuring to realise that our success as Christians isn't bound up in the ongoing appearance and functionality of the hub. We're simply, simply called to be his people. That's our first truth. We are called. The second truth is that we are part of something bigger. Something bigger. So we've gone from something really simple now to something bigger. In the middle of verse 2, Paul continues saying that we're called to be saints, yes, along with all those who in every place call upon the name of Jesus. 
were called to be saints along with all those who in every place call upon the name of Jesus. Paul loves this church plant. Uh, it's a church that he began uh, just a few years beforehand. He planted it back in Acts chapter 18. You can go and read about it. That's where we were going to read from a little bit earlier. He spent a year and a half there preaching Jesus as the chosen one of God right next door to the Jewish synagogue. But as he starts his letter to them, he says, don't forget, guys. I mean, I love you. I love this church. But you're part of something much, much bigger than the Christian Reformed Church of Corinth. You're part of something huge. Now, I don't know about you, but it's often really hard to perceive that. It seems that there is a, a narrowness, a short-sightedness built into every single one of us. That means we hardly ever see further than what's immediately in front of us. We hardly ever see out of our own lives, our own worries, our own concerns, our own church. One of the great joys about traveling uh, internationally is that you get to see some of this stuff. And, and Paul's certainly seen that. He's planted a number of different churches and has traveled quite extensively. I once took a little trip to India. It's quite a number of years ago now, a long, long time ago, and visited some churches over there. And uh, I went to a Sunday service there once. In fact, it might have actually not been a Sunday service. It might have been a weeknight meeting, now that I come to think of it. And it was amazing for me to see this group of people worshipping God in a different language. Uh, they actually shared some of the same instruments that we do. The a guy there pulled out a guitar and just in the middle of this meeting started playing it and singing, you know, I think in Hindi or one of the other dialects, and singing praises to Jesus. Uh, as some Christians met other Christians, they would have this phrase that they would say to each other. They said, Jamasiki, which meant greetings in the name of the Lord, brother. It was wonderful to see that God is working in other places in this world in, in some ways exactly the same ways as he is here and in other ways completely differently. It's extraordinary to know that we are part of something huge and big and wonderful. Jesus Church is a worldwide organisation. Jesus is doing something extraordinary. Today, while we're in church, we are each in different homes around Geelong. Today, while we're in our homes, Someone in India is playing a guitar or a sitar with other people of the faith. Today in Africa, someone will die for their faith. Becoming a martyr for the cause of Jesus. Someone in America today will understand the gospel for the first time and be saved, joining the people of Jesus as a disciple. In Iran, in Peru, in South Africa, there are believers all over the world doing different things, being part of 
the kingdom in different ways. As this world spins around, as the sun dawns in different parts, as the clock turns in the world, people today all over the world are getting up one after the other, preparing to meet together to worship the king. Maybe instruments are being tuned right now, preparing for a service in Perth. A little bit later on, uh, somewhere in Africa or America, all these people are getting up around the world to praise the name of Jesus. In Geelong, there are many churches streaming services into many homes, homes where God has reached in and knocked people off their horses, brought them in and set them apart. And whatever happens to the hub, whatever it ends up looking like, those things will continue around the world. The gospel will not be stopped. And if we join South Barnum or Paco or North Geelong Prezies or City on a Hill or West Geelong Prezies or One Hope or South Valley Baptist or the RPs or St Matthews or Cadinia or Warm Ponds Community Church or any one of a hundred other churches in Geelong, then we're really just recognising that the church is bigger than us. And the work of the gospel goes on across the world and across Geelong because we're part of something bigger. Even if in some of our minds the worst thing were to happen and the hub were to close, the church does not cease to be. It would be a shame, I think, to be saddened by major changes in our directions and not at the same time be wonderfully encouraged that Jesus is working next door, down the road and across the globe. Our usefulness to God doesn't depend on this one gathering of God's people. We're part of what we call the universal church, the church that spans this globe. We're active in bearing the good news of the gospel, not just to Armstrong Creek, but to the world. We are called. We are part of something bigger. And the last truth we want to take home is that we are endowed, I like this word endowed, we are endowed with a message of grace and peace. See, we're part of something bigger. We're united to something bigger by the name of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who we call on for our salvation and hope. And it's Jesus, along with our Heavenly Father in verse 3, that gives us the message of grace and peace. Now, if you've been in a churches for a while, uh, it's easy to hear these words and forget what they really mean. And really, this is a blessing. This phrase, uh, grace and peace to you, it's a blessing. Paul is wishing. God's 
gifts on the church. God's bounty and the gift of wellness on the church is what he's wishing. In fact, he's speaking to a group of people who already have these gifts but need reminding of God's attitude towards them. And maybe that's us. Maybe we need this reminder today. God's grace really sums up God's actions towards us in this world. He's generously bestowed the gift of salvation from sin, restoration between us and God of relationship. He's bestowed an internal inheritance on us. That's God's grace. And he's also gifted them with peace, this Middle Eastern concept of shalom, total wellness that certainly includes spiritual wellness. The gifts of God that the Father and the Son give to us are gifts of spiritual and relational restoration with him. Anyone who accepts the gift of Jesus accepts the love and kindness and the peace of God. In fact, grace and peace is really the summary of the message of the whole Bible. It's the summary of the purpose of Jesus' coming. It's so fundamental to the message of God to you that almost every letter of the New Testament begins with this message. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, almost every letter. We're told again and again and again. Paul starts and the other apostles start their letters reminding God's people of where they stand before God, of how God views them. Again and again, they're told, God loves you. God has rescued you. God has sent his son, Jesus, to die for you, to, to buy you back from darkness, to knock you off your horse and purchase you for his own. You are his precious child. God blesses you, Paul says, with spiritual peace and relational peace with him through Jesus. No matter what happens in your life, no matter what happens in the life of this church, you are loved. You have shalom. Paul writes these things at the start of a letter to remind this church that he loves of who they are when they belong to Jesus. I'm not an apostle. Uh, but I want to remind you, people of the heart, people who I love, of who you are in Jesus. 
God loves you. He loves you so much. He's given you the gift of his son. You've been restored by him. Your sin has been washed away. You can approach our heavenly Father through Jesus as pure, unblemished. And when you come before God, when you live your life before God, God looks at you in love and with tenderness. If you're not a believer or you're not sure, you need this love. You need this restoration. I would encourage you to, to come to God, to read about Jesus, to find out who he is, explore what he holds out to you, this gift of grace and peace. Let's pray together. Pardon me. Lord God, thank you that just like Paul, you have called us. You've called us to be something special. You've called us to belong to you, to be your set-apart people in this world, set-apart for your purposes, set-apart to follow you, be your disciples. Thank you that we have such a calling. Thank you that it's so simple. Thank you, Lord, that you've also called us to be part of something bigger than just the hub. Thank you, Lord, that we belong to this globe-spanning kingdom that has been expanded every single day by our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that the things that happen here are different from the things that happen in Africa, in India, in America, in in Iran. Thank you that the church is active across the globe and that you're using it to bring your kingdom into the world. Thank you that we're part of something extraordinary. And thank you, Lord, for the message of grace and peace which you give to us and which the Son has made possible. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you hold out this offer of love and restoration to everyone in this world. And we pray, Lord, that there would be no one with us today, no one in the hub who does not know and has not accepted those gifts from you. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you that we have peace with you through Jesus. Amen.